0: podcast, Bill Schmarrow from Dell EMC talks about the ingredients of a successful data science practice. So stay tuned. So welcome everyone to another fascinating episode of uh, future of data podcast. And today we have an amazing guest. And if, if uh, future of data uh, is a thing, our guest pretty much justifies uh, the future of data. So he's Bill Schmarzo, um, he's a CTO uh, for Big Data Practice, where he is responsible for working with organizations to help them identify where and how to start their big data journey. He has written several white papers and is an avid blogger and is a frequent speaker on those uh, on the use of big data and data science to power organizations' key business initiatives. He is a University um, of San Francisco School of Management fellow, where he teaches the Big Data MBA course. Bill has over three decades of experience in data warehousing, BI, and analytics. Bill authored EMC's vision workshop methodology that links um, an organizational strategy business initiative with their supporting data and analytic requirements, and co authored with Ralph Kimball a series of articles on analytics applications. Bill has served on the Data Warehousing Institute's faculty as the head of analytic application curriculum. Bill holds a a master's degree in business administration from University of Iowa, and a bachelor of science degree in mathematics and computer science and business administration from Coe College. And he is an amazing uh, Twitter follower to to get in touch with. So always sharing some interesting insights. So if uh, we'll, we'll be posting his Twitter handle as well. So, with that, Bill, thank you so much um, for uh, jumping in um, and and requesting my query to be on the show and sharing your insights with our audience. Well, thanks
1: for having me. I'm very, I'm very, I'm always eager to see the kinds of questions that come up because I, I I view this as a chance for me not only to to talk but also to learn about what other folks think are relevant topics.
0: No, I think it's it's fascinating. So uh, we we have invited interesting guests from basically the industry verticals where they are on the on the on the receiving end of these capabilities right and to me you are from the one who is actually providing these services or providing the knowledge and know-how to all those businesses so i think i'm, I'm super excited and pumped for the session so why don't as a start you walk us through your journey to, to big data how how I got here? Yes, I mean
1: how far how far back do you want me to go? I mean, go all the like- way. <laughs> well, I I think the probably the most material thing is I really got um, I was very fortunate in the 1980s. I worked for a company called Metaphor Computers and was working. Um, we were supporting Procter and Gamble, and uh, they were doing work at that time with Walmart. Uh, pulling in their point of sale scanner you know, and we were we had we were selling with Metaphor a what was called a decision support system. So Um, We were helping them to bring that data in and analyze it and make decisions regarding promotions and inventory and pricing and all kinds of different things. And that that ended up being sort of the launching pad for the whole BI data warehouse, you know, industry. I was, you know, I was lucky. I I like to tell folks it was a a Gump moment, you know, right place, right time, not (laughs) because I'm tall or good looking or from Iowa. You know, sometimes in life you just get lucky. Mm. And so I was very fortunate with that project. It really launched me down the the whole bi data warehouse space was they end up being vice president of analytic applications at business objects and then I was recruited about I guess about 14 50 years ago by by Yahoo um, I was recruited out of business objects because Yahoo had a problem that they wanted to help their advertisers optimize their spend across the Yahoo ad network and the, the project we were building um, we actually called the project internally project looking glass you know Alice mm. in Wonderland the reason why is that we really wanted to, to reshape the experience that our media planners and buyers and campaign managers had with using data and analytics. And so what was interesting about this journey, that we were going to take them on is that the, the person who actually went through the looking glass was me because everything I had been, I had learned and held as gospel from my data warehouse and BI days, I had to in some cases just unlearn it, throw it away. Mm-hmm. And this world of big data, you know, petabytes of data, I didn't have seven or eight dimensions. I had 70 or 80 dimensions. I didn't have, you know, 15, 20 mm-hmm. metrics. I had thousands of metrics. Mm-hmm. I had all this data, semi-structured and structured and unstructured. And fortunately at the time, which I had nothing to do with, by the way, mm-hmm. they were developing a technology called Hadoop. Now, I didn't develop it, but my team was using that in order to uncover these insights. And so that really launched me on sort of my second career where I started to see the light with respect to how data and analytics could be used for more than just reporting, but how data and analytics could be really used for predict what's likely to have, take prescriptive actions, and, and, and become much more preventative in, in identifying stressful situations, for example. So that was kind of my
0: journey. Interesting. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website, firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting, and thank you so much for watching us, uh, walking us through that. So what tell us about your current role. Like what what do you do um, in your current role? Yeah, so
1: at Dell AMC, I'm the CTO of our big data consulting practice, which as you pointed out, means I'm a, I'm a practitioner. Mm-hmm. I, I, not only do I talk to my customers, um, and explain kind of our approach, but I get involved. I'd like to say I have the single best job in the industry because it allows me every day to work with customers to really understand the kinds of problems they're wrestling with, their their cultural and environmental situations, and how do we help them become successful at leveraging data and analytics to really power the business. So I'm very much involved with our customers, everything from you know early stage education awareness, all the way through you know initial implementation. All the way through operationalization so I I get a chance to see it all and it's not all good as you would know right (laughs) there's a lot of mistakes that everybody's making Um, the journey is is fraught with all kinds of of overhyped misset expectations And, and so a lot of the challenges that I see is that how do we get organizations to to reset their expectations and to get really refocused on what's important
0: Interesting, interesting. No, I think thank you so much for walking us through that. I think one thing that uh, when I was looking at your profile, there was I find very exciting. Uh, so we had bunch of folks from the consulting background uh, doing the management consulting side and. The excitement of getting those folks into the conversation was they they know the strategic problem or or at least the cultural the thinking the mindset of business folks in understanding the tech. And when I when I looked at your profile, so you represent the tech side of of that conversation, right? Of how these business anxiety about what's happening in data science and what like what are some of your insights on what are you seeing some of the challenges that businesses are facing today when it comes to adoption of data science and understanding what the, what the hell this keyword really means for them.
1: I think the biggest problem is really misset expectations, and and that what I mean by that is there there is this um, sort of naive belief that if I just hire a bunch of data scientists and I start employing you know machine learning if I'm going to bring in TensorFlow or coffee, coffee or whatever I bring in right that it's magically going to find stuff for me right mm-hmm. there's this sense of it's all it's all magic so I don't need to really worry about it and what we're seeing that the organizations that are most successful are really those organizations that have a real laser focus on what is it we're trying to accomplish oh we got a problem let's say you're a hospital and you're trying to improve or reduce um, hospital readmissions for example okay there is all kinds of data out there all kinds of analytics out there that really can help you to you know score a patient's likelihood to get it to, to be readmitted to understand the variables that are driving that i mean we can get really laser focused to predict those customers who are likely to be readmitted so that we can take very prescriptive action so mm. the real key thing is you gotta be focused. And and I'll tell you right now, I think most organizations do two things, two things really poorly. They don't like to focus mm. and they don't like to prioritize. And the reason why is culture or politics, right? You can't pick one organization and let them we're gonna we're gonna focus on, you know, maybe the the customer experience organization and make sure that when the customer comes in, we're, you know, we understand their needs, et cetera, et cetera. And then if you focus on that, the people in in procurement are saying, well, what about me and and supply chain? What about me and finance? What about me? And so what happens is instead of taking a laser-like focus, being successful and garnering little insights and knowledge that you can use elsewhere, they peanut butter the resources across all these areas and end up doing nothing
0: well. Interesting. Wow. Wow. So, and, and what are some of the things that you are, say, pleasantly surprised uh, by looking at this companies that they're doing really well, if at all, when it comes to adoption? Like, what, what's what's? The thing? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair. Fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website, firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast
1: so here's the thing that really surprised me is that size of company is not an indicator of ultimate success interesting you can be a big in fact i think i think small companies have an inherent advantage here we're seeing the democratization of the technology right costs are driving are being driven down all the open source capabilities out there doesn't mean you have to go out and buy an expensive you know machine learning framework they're all out there right so there's this democratization of the underlying technology and the the technology, the cost of technology isn't no longer a barrier to entry. What happens is that culture becomes the enabler. And in in many small organizations, you'll see that the business and IT people
2: Mm.
1: actually like each other, right? Where where you see a lot of big organizations, you know, the the IT and business people don't like each other. In fact, one of the first questions I ask an organization, I walk in, I say, you you have Mm. Salesforce.com. Of course, most everybody says yes. Mm. Then I say, who bought it? Who bought it? Right? If IT bought it to serve sales, we're good. If sales bought it because IT wasn't getting their butts in gear, that's bad. So you ask that simple question. And that tells you almost all you need to know about the relationship between the business and the IT organization.
0: I think that's so you're interesting a very uh, touching a very interesting point. So we are seeing um, we are seeing a lot about these use cases where IT is too slow to respond and then businesses ended up creating this shadow ITs or shadow groups and and IT created shadow businesses so it's just getting like in in some ways you can see it's almost like appifying workforce right now. So every use case dictates its own CEO to all the way back to its its own its own line manager. What what do you think as a technologist or as, as a technologist from coming from data science and how is it changing the way we, we do business uh, and in data science? So I
1: think what happens is a couple of things that happen when you have this disconnect between the business and, and IT. So and I think we're gonna see this really big in IoT, mm. in that we're gonna see the business you know, business stakeholders, they're gonna go out and buy point IoT solutions an mm. IoT solution that solves this problem, an IoT solution that solves this problem, right? And what happens is they don't integrate well, they don't scale well, and the operationalization of that becomes a nightmare because the business bought it without IT being involved. And at some point in time, business is going to flip this over the trans and says, okay, IT, you guys operationalize this thing. Mm. Well, we've got to re-architect the, the architecture. We've got we to integrate them together. It's, it creates this nightmare. So mm. what happens is that while there is a, compelling ROI for the business to go out and do it on their own whether it's IOT or some other aspect of you know big data or you know whatever it might be ultimately IT has to be involved because they own the operationalization they're the ones who are going to make sure the Mm. data gets fed in consistently they're ultimately probably the ones who are going to do all the data governance and metadata management they're the ones that are going to ensure that the data can be shared properly with all the right security and so there's when you have this disconnect the, the business will get what I like to call, they'll get, they're going to get Krispy Kreme donut sugar highs, right? They're mm. going to do one thing that's like, well, this is great, but they're never going to realize the operational benefit. They're going to get a one-time, you know, 2 or 3% hit, and they're going to miss the opportunity to get that 2 or 3% hit every year, right? Mm. Because they didn't have a chance to operationalize it. So when I talk to organizations, I, I typically come into the IT organization,
2: mm, right.
1: and I tell the IT organization, you got to focus. Find somebody in a business, find a friendly who has a really compelling business problem, make them a hero. Help them be successful. Focus there, use that to build out your architecture, your capabilities, your technologies, your analytics, your data science team. But while you're doing that, you're also delivering an ROI and you're mm. building credibility. And once you knock that one down, go to the second one. I mean, Jeffrey Moore talked about it moons ago, mm. right? When you're crossing the chasm, pick one thing, nail it, right? then get the next bowling pin right it's 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 not magic but it requires a discipline Mm. requires discipline says we're going to do things one at a time and that's probably where the organizations most fail it's not in the technology i mean anybody can make tensorflow work well most everybody, right it's not the technology that gets in the way it's the it's the management alignment and culture that gets in the way
0: interesting and and is there is there any way to to gauge um if you're doing it right. So I think almost like uh, it, it, it's comically um, sort of uh, existing now that when you talk to all these businesses, they say, Hey, you know, I have my own IT freaking organization. And then they, they have a central IT and they're not talking to each other. And then they create sort of old, dis- they're discrete silos. And then it, goes, it causes it caused all the integrational havoc for more, most of these businesses. Like, is there any sort of um, relief or any sort of, um, strategic mindset that these guys need to understand to say if it's a right or a wrong strategy to have, say, a distributed IT, when so-called shadow IT. Do you have any perspective on that? So,
1: yeah, so here's here's the one conversation that I've had, um, growing frequency over the last six to eight months, and it, hmm. a lot of it has to do with the research project we did last year at the University of San Francisco, on how do you determine economic value of data? And one of the things that came out of that research project, which I think for most people, isn't a surprise because we knew this, but now we had a chance to actually, you know, sort of quantify it is that data is an asset that's unlike any other asset an organization has. Mm. If you think about data as an asset, that data has some characteristics, right? Never wears out, never depletes. Mm. And the same data, if you store it properly at the lowest level of granularity can be the same data can be used across an infinite number of use mm. cases at zero marginal cost. Right. So when you start talking to the business executive and start saying, think about your your balance sheet. Think about what assets you have. You have nothing like this. And by the way, data is not the new oil. Hmm. Data is the new sun, right? Data never wears out. Hmm. And so all of a sudden you start getting organizations to start, start thinking about data as an asset. Now the CXO, CEO, CFO, COO, they're all going, well, wait a second. They're, you're right, right? We can reuse this over and over again. However, that means I can't have marketing build on their own data lake or data warehouse. I can't have finance build their own. I can't have sales build on their own because if I do that, I can't get that sharing. I don't mm. get that multiplier effect. And so when I start to have this conversation, you literally could almost see the light bulbs go off and exactly. so go,
2: mm. oh, wow,
1: you're right. Right. It's an asset. So all of a sudden, the mind shift has started to change in our organizations because, and, and you know, to a certain extent, maybe we blame, we blame me. Blame mm. the people who did data warehousing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because at, at a certain point, data warehouses were so expensive that customers thought about data as a cost to be minimized. Mm. The modern organizations, the Amazons, the Googles, the Netflix, the Ubers of the world, right, they don't look at data as a cost to be minimized. They look they look at data as an ac- asset to be exploited.
2: Mm. And
1: so when you start having that attitude, all of a sudden you got senior executives. You've gone through the mental, the mental metamorphosis now mm. where the executives start to understand that the value of the data and the result of the analytics something that can be used across the organization. Then you create a customer loyalty score, for example. How loyal mm. is that
2: customer? Mm.
1: How likely are they, are they to recommend? How likely? What's your net promoter score? All these kind of things. I can use that score across an uh, almost countless number of use cases. Now you've got something that's very unique. And the companies in the future who are going to win are the ones who are going to figure out how to exploit that digital asset and drive it across all their business and operational processes.
0: Interesting, interesting. I think that's, that's you can see, you can see, yeah. you can see I'm excited about. This. Right, exactly. No, it's, it it, Great it conversation. Yes, I think and thank you so much. I think it's 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 really it's really useful. <laughs> we'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair. Fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai. And find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. So, one more interesting conversation that I find myself into in many times is over analysis. Like, how much of analysis? Like, is there any upper band to analyzing data? Like, am I over analyzing? I think most of these guys, how much of it is gut and how much of it is really data? So, do you think there's a, there's a bar anywhere?
1: So, you. That's it, a really good question, and it's a it's a challenge. So, when people come from uh, a data warehouse BI mentality. Mm. We know the results are accurate, right? If the, if the numbers are, my financials are not right. Mm. Somebody is wearing orange and going to jail, right? Yeah. So, we we grew up in a mentality where data was something that we had a hundred percent trust in. My sales were this, my profits were that. Right. When you go into a world of predictions, nothing's a hundred percent, and so there has to be. There's an acknowledgement that I'm no longer 100% confident. I'm now playing with probabilities and confidence levels, which, by the way, most executives, if they took a stats class, threw that book away the minute that class was over, right? They mm-hmm. haven't gone back to stats. Mm-hmm. And so there's a really resurgence of the fact that you need to understand probabilities to some extent. You need to be able to figure out, you know, what's good enough. The, the one thing that I that's really key from a data science perspective, what I, at least what I'm seeing, is that You need to have a data science environment when you're you're building a model that allows you to fail enough times. Here's why failure is important. If you don't have failure, enough failures, I don't have confidence in the model, right? Mm. Model is 80% accurate. Well, it's 20% inaccurate. Mm. What's the cost of being accurate? By the way, what's the cost of false positives and false negatives? What are type one and type two error costs, right? right? Is 80% good enough? Do I need to have 92? Do I need to have 94? What do I need to have? So there is this sense of, of it's really squishy. There's no absolute number that says, oh, if you can't get 95.6% accuracy, you shouldn't act on it. Well, it depends on the cost, right? Type 1 and type 2 costs come into a really important thing, and most executives look at me like I had lobsters call in my ears and I start talking about type 1 and type 2 costs. They're like, <laughs> whoa, well, oh, what's wait. The type 1 cost? I've never heard of that, right? <laughs> so there's – there is this realization this it's this education that you need to go through with the executives to help them first understand that you're going to do predictions and predictions Mm. by their very nature are never 100 percent there's confidence levels and the best way to build confidence in the model and the results of the model is to have an environment that allows you to test all kinds of different things fail fail learn 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 and get closer and closer and oh by the way the minute you think it's done The world is going to change, mm-hmm. so I like to call this the full-time data scientist lifetime employment act, right? Because you're going to have to constantly keep the models tweaked, right? The economy changes, the student debt increases, uh, underemployed increases, right? We see we see different things change, and so models, by their very nature, are going to change as well. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: you have to have this this mentality that I have to be able to work with good enough. I have to be comfortable operating within confidence levels
0: interesting interesting I think when you were saying that so one thing that that I was thinking about is uh, I think recently you, you said that who brought the, brought in the sales force are the sales guys is bringing the sales force or the IT guys this is another another interesting topic right so in data science right so who should who should sort of own the idea of, of data science like is it is is this come is this should this come from IT? Um, the, the, or, or, or does the business case dictates, um, do you have a perspective on, on, on that?
1: Yeah, so I actually think that the data science team should be owned by your chief data officer. And that's a new role. And actually, I I like, I like don't like calling the title chief data officer. I think your title should be chief data monetization officer. Because oh. your job, right? I've already got somebody, I've got a CIO who's already managing my data, right? Buying the storage and compute and everything else like that, right? Got that. I need an executive who is focused on data monetization. I don't need a CDO who's a, who's a CIO mini me. I don't mm. need that. Right. And so if I have a chief data officer, I could make a very strong argument that my data monetization engine is my data science team because they're mm. the ones who are extracting value out of the data. So if I own monetization, I'm the chief data monetization officer. I want to own the data scientists. But organization, here's what I would do. I would hardline them into the business units and mm. not align them back to me because I want the business units to think that they work for them. And in fact, I want the data Interesting. To work them to for that, right? Right. But I need to be the point in the middle, the, the, the cog, the CPU in the middle, that's ensuring that the learnings we're getting out of all the different business units are being integrated together. And so we're learning and, and applying them across the organization. Yes, applying data consistently across the organization, knocking down data, the silo stopping shadow IT spend. But I also want to avoid the problem of orphaned analytics. That mm-hmm. is where somebody in some part of the organization builds an analytics model. It's got a great mm-hmm. impact and doesn't get operationalized across other units. That's that's like throwing money on the floor and just walking away. Why would you do that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the chief data monetization officer is the real linchpin here. And I've seen I've talked to two organizations now who got it. And in fact in one organization the chief data officer reports to the CEO, and the CIO reports to them. I thought, wow, Whoa. that's pretty unique, right? I, wow. Yeah, it was very unique, and and kudos to that organization because mm-hmm. they're very serious about the digital transformation. And you make that kind of an organizational statement, you're basically telling the entire company, mm. data is a key aspect of the organization, and we're going to figure out how to get value out of it.
0: I love Inter- it. Interesting. So, so, so that means you're suggesting that CDO or chief analytics or like whatever we call this guy should have its own vertical so or or do they like or is, do they come from any business business unit like what's what's your personal preference uh, where where these guys should come from so i think
1: the background for a chief data officer should be economics mm-hmm. not technology i i think and the reason why i, I think economics is really applicable because economics is about how do you put value on abstract offset, um, assets right so and data very much is and and also economics talked about you know wealth creation and wealth transfer and there's all kinds of economic concepts like the real value of data if you think about it is really the economic multiplier effect right mm. and how and what's the marginal propensity to consume and all all these economic things so if you think that you think the executives forgot their stats mm. what do you start talking about economics and they certainly forgot those but i think economics is is the best characteristic you should know enough about technology to be literate I, th- mm. I think that's what I am. I mm. mean, don't ask me to write TensorFlow. You'd, it'd be a really long day, right? Mm. But, I, but I've got a really solid understanding of economics, and I understand how the, how the economics of data can be applied to the business to drive value.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So I think one thing that um, so you're a technologist uh, in, in in the data science world and helping businesses understand what they can do with their data science. So one of the things that I uh, I we hear a lot from the business end on their technologists. So I, I personally am I'm paranoid about this idea of bias as a technologist, right? Now, businesses or IT is now the spine of any business. Any business core competency and business is all about the art of doing things, right? So it's an art uh, that that business has created for a while, and now IT is uh, given kind of a, a front row seat uh, in driving that business. Now, as a technologist, like bias is and in IT bias is it's it's the thing, right? So we all are coming from our own cults. Uh, of how to execute and if that's the right word so how do how do one keep yourself cult free or unbiased when it comes to it's your thoughts yeah so it's we you're right we all come with
1: biases because we are all a product of our prior experiences Mm -hmm. right I, i worked with ralph kimball for many years so when you know, my first way whenever I start talking to a customer in my head, I was immediately build a star schema. Oh, here's a fact, it's a dimension actually. Right, it's that was how I thought. I think what's happening now, as you, I like this phrase you said, business has been given a front role. Mm. Right, in some cases, business is standing at the front of the ship, saying mm. we're going this way,
2: mm.
1: and it's a new role for IT because we're no longer just playing with, with with technology. We now have to be accountable for understanding what technologies are gonna be important to achieve what that business exactly wants to hit. It's no longer a technology-driven conversation, it's a business-driven conversation. And here's where I think IT, the people in IT, and this is where I think the millennials have a huge advantage over mm. us old dogs, because you're gonna to have to unlearn. Mm. Here's the challenge. When I went from, from the BI world at Business Objects to Yahoo, it took me a long time to unlearn schema first, mm. right? We think, mm. oh, when you get to a Hadoop world, you don't need to have schema, right? You can do a schema, after load data, then build a schema, right? My mentality was I was trained for 20 some years of my life to think schema first.
2: Mm. And to
1: unlearn that was painful for me. We are all faced with that, especially as technology, mm. basically starts addressing more and more things. And some of the beliefs that we've held as gospel, things that we have built our careers upon have changed. And mm. if we can't unlearn so we can learn new stuff, we're going to fall by the wayside. So I would mm. say that for any IT or organization, the key is to be ready to let go of things that you've held as gospel. And I'll tell you right now, the one mm. thing to let go first of is technology. Mm. Right? Let it go. Right, In the end of the day, tech, no one cares. Right, Technology has no legs, has no life. What does have life is data. Mm. Data is going to be around for a long time and the analytics that come out of that data, right? The, the sooner that organizations, this, this will probably get people really heartburn, but the sooner you can think about technology being disposable,
2: mm.
1: it's better off you're going to be, because it isn't the technology, it's the data that's coming from that. I like to joke that I've been involved with some clients where they've got data that's come out of a CICS system. You, you people don't know what the CICS system mm. is, right? The CICS system dead you know, 15 years ago. Mm. Data's still there. Data is still there
0: interesting interesting wow wow so so how do like what are some of some of your hacks that that you use to keep yourself bias free like what are what are some things that you could do uh any any practice so
1: the the one thing that i find that helps me to frame everything else because i'm not sure i'm ever going to be bias free Mm. but the one thing i found is and this is what every good data scientist already knows it's the how confident and solid, how well-defined your hypothesis is. What is it Mm. you're trying to prove? And more and more, that hypothesis is a decision I'm trying to drive. For example, Mm. if I'm trying to um, reduce customer attrition, I'm going to create a score for every one of my customers, an at-risk score, right? I'm going to create an at-risk score. And um, I I need to be able to um, focus on the decision that I'm going to drive based on that at risk score, right? So I'm going to Mm -hmm. use that at risk score to figure out what customers should I target. Um, I'm probably going to build some analytics around what kind of offers are the best ones to go after. I might build analytics around what's the right kind of channel they might respond to. Some might refer email, some might, might refer their mobile phone, right? It depends, right? But Oh wait, I may have to create a score ahead of time about how valuable that customer is. Because if I have a customer who's at risk but not very valuable, why do I care? right? So what helps me to stay grounded are the decisions we're trying to make. If I understand the decisions, and by the way, this is not hard to figure out the decisions because we, our business stakeholders have been trying to make these decisions for decades. Right? Who are my at-risk customers? Who are my most valuable customers? What's the right message to deliver to them? What's the right time? I mean, they've been asking these questions forever. Well, I now have better data and much better analytics and technology to help me to make better recommendation on the decisions. So the way that I can help become maybe less biased is let's focus on the decisions. Let's figure out what data and analytics I need to support that, what technology and architecture supports that, and attack it from the top down based on decisions mm. and my hypotheses versus trying to grasp some technology and say, God, I hope this solves the problem.
0: Right. Interesting. Interesting. And and, and how about... um. So, in, in 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 a good enough execution of data science or that practice, what is how much is um, the role of a team versus a tool? Like, do you like how much of uh, do you have any perspective on that? Like, how important are tool versus versus team when putting together a good enough uh, data driven practice?
1: Well, we know from um, from athletics, for example, that mm. the team is much more important than the tool. And then ultimately, everybody has the same tool. But the reason why the New England Patriots keep winning the, stinking World Series, uh, the Super Bowl is because they've got a better team. They use the same tool as everybody else, but they've got a better team. They've got better organization. So the team is everything. And um, when I look for – when we start to build out teams, there's obviously a, a series of different roles that need to be created in that. So collaboration is very critical, right? I'm mm-hmm. gonna have a data scientist, but I'm also gonna have a data engineer who's gonna help me get data. I'm gonna have a data visualization person who's gonna help me to visualize data. I'm gonna have a user, you know, user-centric design, human-centric design person, help me figure out how I'm gonna materialize those. It's all kinds of different people involved in there. So collaboration is very critical. But you can't have good collaboration if you also don't have humility. Right? If you're not a humble person, if you think you know all the answers, you don't. I'll tell you right now, if you think you know all the answers, you don't. Because the minute you think that, you're done. And so the best teams are the ones who are always willing to listen and learn and collaborate and try different things and fail as a group and move forward, right? It's, it's, this, the, that humility is very important because you have to have an attitude that says all ideas are worthy of consideration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't know where your best ideas are going to come from. There was this, this story I just read about um, in the um, Golden State Warriors' first um, championship against the, um, uh, against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. They were really struggling their first four games, and they've one of their video guys came up to the coaching staff and said, hey, when you have these combinations of players in there, one of them was Tegan right, mm-hmm. and you have him in there, he causes a matchup problem for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And mm-hmm. so Steve Kerr said, wow, I looked at the data, looked at the analysis, said, let's try this. And so they, they actually started, Iguodala starting on game five. They went on to win the, win the championship, right? Because all ideas are worthy of consideration. You don't know where the best ideas are going to come from. There's no law that says the best ideas only come from the senior executives. Heck, they're probably the most clueless.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: this humility, being humble, all ideas are worthy of consideration, collaboration, that's what builds a good team. Screw the tools, right? It's yeah. not the tools that make it work. It's the team and the ability to collaborate.
0: Interesting. I think um, so. I was reading. I think one of one of your blog. It was it was pretty pretty interesting. So you were talking about I think value cycle uh, when it comes to preventive <laughs> and and so fascinating. Like so, I, I really want to le- uh, sort of know some kind of maturity model out there, right? Some kind of value cycle. And it was it was refreshing to see anyone who's talking about it, right? So. Is there anything like like a maturity model when it comes to data science like is is there anything that you have seen or you know exist or what like any thoughts there?
1: so oh, time time for a, a shameless plug what um, <laughs> one, one of the challenges that we that really ran into really you know probably five, six years ago hmm. was that organizations lacked that maturity model. they hmm. I would ask this question. I always started my conversation hmm. that, hey, how effective is your organization at leveraging data and analytics to power the business? Mm. And they all look at each other in the room and they go, "Well, mm. we don't know, right? We don't know how to compare ourselves. We, we might be doing great. We might be doing crappy. We don't know, right? So what I did is I created this thing called the Big Data Business Model Maturity Index. Big mm. Data Business Model Maturity Index. It's not a maturity model of, you know, how good are you with Hadoop or Cafe or SaaS or right or SQL? No, no. It's how good are you from a business model perspective in exploiting the power of data and analytics, and so. If you do a search, I've written several blogs on it. I've done some videos on it. Um, it's a very effective. And, and again, I wrote this probably five or six years ago, and it has survived the test of time. I had a lot of customers. We've we've gone through this. We we put it up on a whiteboard and we figure out where they are and how they move along. It's probably the single most best thing I've ever done. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of things in my life that are really great, but that one really seems to work. And so, use that as a vehicle for. For figuring out how do I become more effective at leveraging data and analytics and then figuring out how the technologies and stuff kind of fit into it. But it gives you a different frame. It gives you a frame that says we're going to focus on driving the business. We're going to focus on business value. We're going to focus on data monetization. And then we'll figure out what data, what analytics, what architecture, what technology we're going to need to support that journey.
0: Interesting. And I think that's and and I, I i'll i'll put that link um, on on the on the description of the, of the yeah, podcast please as well do. that's that's fascinating because i think we hear we hear this about this a lot uh, from our end as well that um, many of the businesses so this and th- whether it's procrastination or whatever we, we we call that thing it's just that hey um, i have a maturity model that i'm pursuing and it and data science maturity model should al- align with my sort of growth growth trajectory right give me, give me one second
1: <laughs> so I'm back. Thanks for the. This. this I'm trying to get it so you can see it. This is it, yes. right? And I, this is my hand-drawn version because. I like doing hand drawn. I, I, I like to cool. draw on the board. But this is pretty cool. This is this is cover of my second book, which is actually the textbook. And i not a shameless plug, but this this is the textbook we use for my class at the University of San Francisco. And okay. we spend our, our, our very first session, which was last week, this that teacher, is awesome. walking that is awesome. through this. So that organize because it's really important that the business stakeholders. So my my students are tomorrow's business leaders, right? They're right. not data scientists, right? I'm not turning trying to turn them into data scientists. I'm trying to turn them into citizens. Of data science, and I want them to understand and think about how am I going to exploit the economic value of data and analytics mm-hmm. to move along the maturity index.
0: No, I think that's. So sorry, that's, to interrupt. But- Though I think that that is fabulous. I think so. Even even whenever I find myself in that conversations, where um, no no no, this maturity model is like let's let's follow whatever whatever my business goal is, and you align yourself in in my goal. The constant struggle is, hey, but how would then you see your practice grow? Like at some point, you want data science to do some some business, deliver some business insights on itself, unless you take it. And I think that's why I do appreciate you sort of um, uh, for for creating those maturity model and, and pushing it out there because that's it's and and I think and the other thing that that I that I really um, sort of envy you uh, uh, about is so you are from a very data savvy company, right? So you are always on the cutting edge, you are always on, on the front seat when it comes to the evolution. But many of the businesses that, that, that sort of, which are pretty like 100, 200 year old businesses, very cultural thick, very difficult to move anything in, that, in those businesses, they have no insights. Like they have, and, and we hear, and I mean, you must be hearing that a lot, that their, their, their IT or technology leadership cannot get anything through the 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 thick layer of culture and what are some of some of your thoughts or some of your sort of key key insights for those executives how they can they can sort of the the leaders on the wow. IT and tech, tech end to push this next shiny object in their companies
1: so um, this is probably not the answer that you want to hear um, I've given up on many of the executives and mm. the reason why I really like teaching I I guess lecture a lot of universities is because I think I think my generation has has reached the point of marginal value Um, Mm, I think that um, what what is I'm more encouraged by the Millennials and the Mm. up-and-coming business leaders people who have a fresher perspective who um, aren't worried about protecting their domain there, I every now and then I run into a business executive who, who gets it. It's few and far between. Um, but when you hit one of those kind of people, it's, it's really enlightening because they know that they have more that they can do. Mm. Um, but there just, there's, there's still too many executives and a lot of CIOs who have, and again, I probably get myself in trouble. Mm. I'm going to plead to the millennials, who so I think is our, <laughs> is our hope. I think there's a lot of CIOs who rose to power based on some technology decision they made. Mm, right. And they're by golly, they're not going to give that up even though that technology is no longer the best thing. I mean, there are a lot of CIOs who became CIOs because of their really outstanding data warehouse capabilities, right? They made some really smart selection the data warehouse and BI space and they built a really compelling environment that reports on what happened and people are getting reports. People are happy, but, their ability to say that I need to move beyond reporting to predictive and prescriptive limits their ability because they, 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 they can't do, they can't go through a looking glass. Like I went through, right? I went through the looking glass. It took me a long time. I had a lot of really good counselors and, and people with me, some really strong data scientists and a really excellent user design team who worked with me at Yahoo. They are the ones who dragged me through the looking glass. They were not going to allow me to let my, my preconceived notions of what, how things are supposed to work get in the way of the, of the success of the project. So, um, I teach because I think there's a message for tomorrow's leaders that you need Mm. to embrace analytics as a business discipline. It's not something Mm. that it should own. It's a business should own analytics. Mm. And we will find, I think we're going to find more and more organizations that are going to become under stress. They're going to have to back up and say, I need to think differently. And when they start thinking differently, now we can help them.
0: Interesting. I think that's fascinating. I think that's a, a very good, very good insight there. By the way, so as a technologist, like another challenge uh, that that I, I want your perspective on is so right now every technology that that you are using uh, for empowering businesses going through disruption, right? So every day you hear about like other. Uh, Every day there's a keyword emerging, whether it's called blockchain, whether it's called IoT, whether it's called AI, whether it's called like whatever you just, every day there's something. How do you keep yourself sane besides going to yoga or going to do some meditation? Like how do you sort of, <laughs> how do you sort of, because like right now, everything that you're standing on is on its S-curve disruption. And the thing that you're relying on those itself is going in its, in, in its own disruption. So like, how do you keep yourself sane?
1: So I remember I said that the sooner you can think about technology being disposable, the better Mm. off you're going to be. I like like the phrase S-curve destruction. Mm. That's that's exactly Mm. what's happening. And um, I was talking to one of my classes and I said, I'm not concerned if you learn TensorFlow. I'm concerned that you learn how to learn TensorFlow. And the reason why I say that is because, TensorFlow is hot today. It's great technology. Mm. Who knows, two years from now, if it's mm. the right thing, right? Especially with this open source phenomenon going on. Technology is being released at very rapid paces. There's all kinds of phenomenal startups out there with great technology. Some of them built on open source that are going to accelerate adoption of new technologies. If you build your life on technology, you're building your life on shifting sands.
2: Mm. Right? Don't
1: build your house on sands, right? We learned that from the Bible. So we know better than that. So, what do you build your life on?
2: Mm.
1: Build it on value. Build it on data and analytics, right? Build it on how I can leverage the insights in the data, insights about my customers' behaviors, my product performance, my operational excellence, and such. Build it on that. Build it on the ability to, to uncover insights. And t- today I'm using machine learning. I mean, there's, I mean, how many different neural network technology are there out there? Like 50, mm. I guess, somebody was telling me, right? And by the time we're off off here doing this thing, there's probably 52, right? So Mm. there's all these new technologies coming out here. From a business perspective, I don't expect you to understand all 50 of the different ones. However, I expect my data scientists to, right? Mm. I don't expect my data scientists to understand the business. I got business people to do that. I expect my data scientists to look at the decision we're trying to make and say, I think these are the right models. Algorithms try against that. And if they aren't the right ones, I'm going to try some other ones, right? So when I find this, you talk about a team, right? The separation of mm-hmm. skill. I, I don't expect my data scientists to understand the business. I expect them to understand mm-hmm. data science. I expect my business people to understand the business. I don't get them to, to understand data science. However, I want my business people to think like a data scientist, right? To be able to converse with data scientists in a language that's good for both, both parties. And I want my data scientists to think like a business executive, but so they know the right kinds of conversations? What are KPIs, right? And things like that. So they can have a common language. And if you have that common language, then the data scientists can do their work to try to drive and optimize those metrics. And the business person can work on the cultural issues to make sure we can actually operationalize it.
0: Interesting, interesting. And I think, and, and one one area where sort of you can really help me, uh, so as like you you are actually representing two sides uh, of one of the one the technologist nightmare is about talent, uh, the the knowledge uh, or knowledge gap of what what technologies out there that businesses could exploit. Because I, th- I think as a technologist, it's your job to recruit the most cutting edge at the right time, so to cause disruption and and give businesses an, uh, an edge up to than their competitor competitors. But on the other side, how you can sort of train your folks uh, on those technologies, the assets out there. So you you are you are teaching right now. So I I am um, on on advisory seat of much of these universities about the data science program. My sort of constant rant to those guys is two years is hell of a long time to to bake someone. It's like right now if if you're not if we can't get me any any guy by the end of the weekend, probably they're obsolete anyways, right? So how, like how do you sort of um, again relax yourself around this concept of like how cuz cuz technologies are suffering the most in in this in this in this disrupt disrupt s, s curve disruption or s s curve destruction whatever you call it thoughts
1: <laughs> wow um, i i'm i'm trying to think how to um decompose that question so there's a there's a lot of passion in there Right. Um, which is good. Um, I'm not a data scientist. Right. Really clear, right? Mm. I, I'm In fact, I'm not a business person. I'm mm. very fortunate that I sit, a, I'm, I'm neither mm. fish nor fowl. I'm kind of sitting in the middle. And when I look at that relationship, what I expect from the data scientist, who I think is truly the, the great uncovered asset in organizations, mm. we talk about it, But we we talk about how sexy they are, how important they are, but we still haven't figured out how to monetize them yet. I think it's important for the data scientists to learn concepts Mm. more than technology, Mm. Um, learning how to um, really... I I said before, earlier, hypothesis development, really critical, right, you got to be able to understand and build the right kind of hypothesis, you got to be able to validate and vet it, and prioritize the aspects of it, right, you, you got to be able to make certain that that takes, that takes some interpersonal skills, Mm. some data scientists may not have it, but some, I've got to feel my team are really good at doing that, right, who can Mm. talk with the customer to make sure we have the right hypothesis, they know how to push around and they they've seen enough bad hypotheses know what good ones look like, right. So I, I, I want people understand concepts and approaches and and, and approaches and, and methodology and not be as concerned about the technology because but I but I actually want them to be concerned with the technology I right. want them to, to, to constantly be looking at new things like I just one of the projects we were on recently um, was around doing predictive maintenance and they were um, using a combination of of deep learning first to take variables and turn them into images. No.
2: Mm. And then
1: machine learning, they they use this combination of machine learning and deep learning at the same time to to do things kind of an assembly kind of ensemble kind of thing. Mm. Right. And, and and I had never thought about that. I was like, Mm. you know, it was, it was great. I said, how Mm. did you think about doing that? And they said, I don't know. I just, just tried it. I thought that's it. Just try it. Right, you don't know, right? How do we make association rules more effective by adding? Well, let's try adding deep learning to it. To see if we mm. can create more effective, more actionable, more more accurate, you know, association rules. Just try it. Right. And so, I, I think that the data scientists in particular need to understand what these technologies do at a high level and be able to to use them as appropriate. But don't be afraid to throw one away and try something mm. different. The the and I think that may be what spooks the business people. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is that data science is about failure. Mm-hmm. We fail a lot more than we're successful, but every time you fail, we learn, right? And that's not something that, uh, you know, if you build a data warehouse and you, mm-hmm. you fail with the architecture, you're looking for a new job. right? Mm-hmm. You just spent, you know, six, nine months and a couple million dollars built something It doesn't work so data science has to be has to do things much more quickly right little little tricks that we learn right we don't build models on giant data sets we take subsets Mm -hmm. of it and we start playing with it first right we do a lot of our envisioning with small you know we do a lot of projects for 10 or 15 gigabytes of data to see what the relationships might be and if we find some things then we start bringing in more data right you, Mm -hmm. you you learn this kind of different approaches and processes and we don't know them all today and in fact the minute we think we know them they change so the data scientists have to be well read. and stay on top of things, and go to conferences, hang on Twitter, and you know, hang on LinkedIn. There's gobs of great stuff going on mm. out there. So, I'm not sure I answer your question, but don't focus on the technology as much as you really need to understand the process and approaches.
0: I think I, so. I, I I love the I love the element of that it's all, it's about concepts, right? So it's learn. I think you you nailed it pretty fair and square that. Technology is just the enabler to for a concept, and and, and you have, still have to be. And I think you, you, your example is, was fascinating about um, uh, the guy talking about machine learning and deep learning and, and sort of creating this. I think that's you nailed it. I think that's 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 exactly what 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 I wanted to hear uh, from my end. So um, the other thing, your perspective on is what is the ingredient of you, some of your best hires? Like what 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 are like if you can share. Um, Share that. That sure. would be really helpful yeah. as a technologist. So my
1: my absolute best data scientist, the, the, the two skills that I see more than anything else, there's probably more, but these two, I talked about humility and collaboration, right? Mm. That they're willing to, you know, all ideas, ideas are worthy of consideration. So that if you, you get ideas from other people and you're willing to try things, you gotta, you gotta become really good. Data scientists need to learn how to, do, how to try things really fast. Mm. If I have to stand up a big environment, bring a bunch of data, and it takes me five days to try something, then I'm not going to do much trial and error, right? I need to be able to do things in hours. Bring in a small data set, screen scrape something, drop it in, build a flat file, you know, a schema of a flat file, and then do some playing with it. See if any sort of is there anything in that data, right? Mm-hmm. So the discovery process the, has to be very, very quick. And so, uh, you, so you do need to have an environment that supports that. Because if I have that, then I can then I can fail fast. I can try different crazy ideas. I can get people to share. So humility and collaboration are really key. Then the third thing is you can't be afraid to fail.
2: Mm. You
1: just can't, right? And and that's that's something that we have we have sort of um, ostracized as we got older. Think about how you learned to ride a bike. Did you hop mm. in a bike and take off? No, we all we fell, we ran into trees, we ran into bushes. And no, how did we learn to be who play golf? Right? How did you learn to play golf? Well, you hit the ball over the course and you slice and hook, and I still do that. So. Right, we failed a lot, and it was through failure that we became better. All of a sudden, you get in the business world, that failure becomes bad. No, no, no. Failure is a process of learning. And so, um, I want data scientists who aren't afraid to fail, but you know, but fail and learn from the failures. Not just to fail, but I'm, I, you know, I'm going to try this. This is what I believe is going to happen. I do my test. I, this has happens. What did I learn from that? Mm. Right. And then capture that learning, share it with the team, make everybody smarter. It's a team sport. You said it very well. It's a team smart, sport. If somebody is doing something here and they learn some great idea, let's try it over here. Let's mm. fail. I mean, it's just, it's all about creating that really sense of, of, of team and, and getting them excited about the, the, the realm of what's possible. That's, by the way, that's probably one of the most challenging things when you start talking to executives. Mm. is they just don't know what's possible. Mm. They don't know that you can do this kind of crazy stuff and can, you know, you can bring up photos and you can tell you what's a, mm. you know, what's a Chihuahua puppy and what's a blueberry muffin. Cause you, mm. you don't want to eat a Chihuahua puppy by accident. So yeah. and they, they don't have any idea that, wow, you can differentiate between those kind of So part of what I think is really important from a data science team perspective is almost doing these, um, these contests, these, these lunch and learns where they're sharing with the executives the kind of things that they can do. Because you're trying to get the business executives to start thinking about, wow, oh, I didn't know you could do that. No. And they can start envisioning how they might do that, how they might use that to, you know, to flag parts that are gonna fail or to flag uh, a, um, a patient in a hospital who is likely to get a staff infection. So there is this, this, this world, of constant world of trying to make people aware, to help them to envision that you're sharing these things back and forth. So it the the business people data scientists have to, and this by the way this is what I think a chief data mm, officer nice. or a chief analytics officer that's one of their key responsibilities is a continuous education of my business executives about what I can do today that I couldn't even do you know 4 months ago. So fascinating. Um, yes, I think that's,
0: yeah, that's, anyway. that's 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 beautiful. So um, we're almost at the tail end of the conversation so I, I Bill, thank you so much for being very candid and, and helping us uh, understand the the mindset of a technologist um, in a data-driven world. So let's let's talk about you for a minute. So what has like what are your ingredients to success? Like what are some of the things that 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 you cherish really helped you be what you are today? If if if, if you can walk us through that.
1: Sure. Um, I'm I'm very lucky in the sense I've got I have some very I have some marvelous friends who are very patient with me. Um, my, my chief data scientist who I work with, his name is Wei Lin. Um, Wei is the most humble, um, most generous, most patient person I know. And is always willing. When I, he, he'll do something and I'll take a look at it and I'll say, how did you do that? I don't understand. Mm. And he'll go through and explain it. And I'll go, I don't get it. I'll go through and explain it. Right. So I'm I'm very fortunate that I've got a lot of friends and I've met a lot of people through, you know, Twitter has turned out to be mm. an amazing source mm. of, all kinds of great stuff. I, by the way, I don't go to Facebook anymore. I, mm. Facebook is full of politics and right. and fake news, and so and it's weird that Twitter's not. But it, mm. you know, I, I mm. find that there's people there, and I've run into many many people who are willing to share their experiences. So
2: mm.
1: I'm I'm very fortunate that I'm constantly looking for for new ideas. I love it when people send me an idea and I test it, and and they have the patience to walk me through an idea until I learn it, or maybe I'm hopeless. So I, I think that it's, it's the, it's the friends you surround yourself with, right? That really dictate a lot about what you are. They, they always Mm. say that you are, you are the sum of the decisions you've made in your life. If you, Mm. you want to figure out who you Mm. are, you look at the decisions you've made in your life and that defines who you are. I think that also is true with your friends. You, Mm. you are, you define yourself by the friends you hang with. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of picky about my friends. I don't, Mm. I'm not friends with everybody, But somebody who's really willing to spend and help me to understand, Mm -hmm. and and by the way, hopefully I can get back to them as well. I mean, Mm
2: -hmm. share
1: ideas. And as a process, we become better. The the, the last point here, Mm -hmm. this is why I teach. The reason I teach, a couple of reasons. One, in order to teach something to students, Mm -hmm. you need to be able to understand Mm -hmm. and simplify. Mm Simplifying is hard, right? I can write something that's really complicated, but getting an explanation down to 12 or 15 words takes a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I like that challenge. Number two, I love the fact that the students don't know what they can't do, and so mm. they'll raise your hand and say, uh, "Professor Schmarzo, I don't get it." Like, mm. kind of like Tom Hanks in the movie Big. I don't get it, right? <laughs> right. And they and and you stop and say, "Well, you know, well, it's the way we've always done it." Oops, wait, that's the wrong answer. Right? Mm. Why are we doing it that way? And you stop and you think, right? Maybe we shouldn't do it that way. So I find that. Teaching is by far the best part of what I do. I just and I got a class tonight. I can't wait to get into it because I know we're gonna we're gonna try things, we're gonna do things, we're gonna fail, but we're gonna learn together.
0: Nice, no, fascinating. So, one more thing I ask everyone is their favorite read. So, besides Big Data MBA, like what is? Um, do you have a favorite read that you want to share with our audience? With favorite audience? what? Favorite read. Oh, favorite read. Yes.
1: Well, the the book that I recommend for all of my students that they read, other than you know, mine of course, is I have I have them read the book Moneyball. Mm. I thought that the book Moneyball was the cultural introduction of the concepts of data science to a broader audience. That the, the book did a really nice job, maybe not as direct as as you know, you know, it's possible, but they introduce mm-hmm. a lot of different concepts about data science. For example, mm-hmm. on the book, you get this, this definition of data science. What is data mm-hmm. science? Data science is about identifying those variables and metrics that might be better predictors of performance, period. That's mm-hmm. all it is, mm-hmm. right? People can understand that, right? They understand. I'm looking for things that, that make somebody a better batter, somebody a better pitcher, somebody a better fielder, right? They get it they get it. So I think that book was my favorite read. Um, I think it was, um, it really helped us to to take some very complex, overly complex, confusing concepts and make them very
0: simple. Interesting. No, I think, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I do appreciate that. And as now, as, 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 as and by the way, thank you so, so much. I think I'm, I'm, I'm really energized with your passion and this podcast is like full of Full of energy right now so it's it's hard to see it go it's it's I, like, it's, it's almost hurting so um why as as as, 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 a, as a before we part ways as a closing remark like do you have any closing remark for our for our for our viewers listeners uh that, that you want to share yeah. yeah the one
1: thing the only bit of advice i would give to you is don't be afraid to fail we talked mm-hmm. about that
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that might require you to unlearn stuff
2: mm-hmm. so
1: be ready to jettison things that you've held as gospel and learn new things i think if you can do that right i'm not trying to teach you tensorflow i'm trying Mm. to teach you how to no i'm not trying to have you learn TensorFlow. i want you to learn how to learn tensorflow right so learn the process learn the concepts the technologies are going to change and but if you understand the concepts and the approach we're going to be very successful going in the future
0: i think that's couldn't have said any better so with that thank you so much bill um, and again, you are, you're always welcome on the show and thank you so, so much for being amazingly candid and, 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 and helping us understand the landscape. We have covered, covered probably a mile in less than a feet. So it's, 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 it's amazing. It's, I think it's, th- this is one of the sessions that I really thrive to do, uh, these podcasts, I think, and, and I do appreciate you. And with that, thank you so much. Well, thank you for
1: the opportunity. It was great. I'm a, I'm a very fortunate person. I get exposed a lot of opportunities. And I'm, I feel fortunate I can share them. So thanks for giving me a, a, a platform upon which I could pontificate.
0: Awesome, awesome. So thank you so much. Yeah.